So my favorite, uh, one of my favorite comedy films, you guys are going to learn a lot about me here today, is Talladega Nights. It's a Will Ferrell movie uh, where he plays a NASCAR driver. And there's this one scene where he gathers together with his family and friend, and he leads them in prayer. Dear baby Jesus, dear six-pound, eight-ounce baby Jesus, he says baby Jesus quite a few times, and his wife stops him at one point during the prayer and says, you know, Jesus did grow up. He says, well, yeah, but I like the baby Jesus the best. And then his friend, who's there, jumps in again in the middle of the prayer and says, I like to think about Jesus, you know, so he says, I like to think about Jesus in a golden fleece diaper. And his friend says, I like to think about Jesus in a tuxedo shirt. Because it's like saying, I like to party. It's a hilarious scene, and it makes me think about what is the image of Jesus that we like the most. What's the image that we hang on to, or when we hear about Jesus, we think of the most? Is it baby Jesus? The Jesus that comes at Christmas? Is it the crucified Jesus? The risen Jesus? Is it the Jesus that's angry and overturning tables in the temple? Is it the Jesus of Mary's song who... who uh, brings the powerful down from their thrones, but sends the rich away empty. That's probably not the image of Jesus that ranks up high on most of our lists. So I do invite you, especially this week, to think about that. What are those pieces of Jesus that are front and center for us, and what are the ones that maybe we push to the side, and why? But that's not what today's sermon is about. Today's theme is about singing songs of hope in a weary world. Singing songs of hope. I grew up going to church, and for my parents, you had to sing. It didn't matter that I did not have a good voice and I was not confident in my singing. You're in church. We sing songs of praise and joy. And so my dad, as I'm, you know, standing there and have my bulletin or hymnal open, he would bend down and look, make sure my lips were moving. And then, once he noticed that my lips were moving, he would turn his ear and get close to make sure that sound was coming out of my mouth. And if I or my brother weren't singing, we were in trouble. But never mind that my dad was well known in the church for singing loud and proud and terribly off key. But for my parents, part of being Christian is to sing songs, songs of love, songs of joy, Songs of Hope. I had to laugh when now serving at the University of Maryland in our dinner and worship, then we 
we have couches and the students sit on couches. I had a student who graduated a few years ago who would sit at the very front, right in the couch, about two feet away from our uh, praise team singers who would lead us in worship, and he would sing loud and proud and off-key. And it was fun just to watch how those, those the leaders would just try to keep it going with a straight face and keep us going. When I think about hope, I have to say that I wonder how much I really, I don't even know the right word or phrase, but I don't know maybe much, as much about hope as I'd like to think. You see, maybe you're similar to me. I, I grew up middle class in the United States in a white household. I was brought up to believe and understand that I could be anything. I could do anything in some ways that I was in control of that. Sure, it's, it's easy now with kids to, to hope for the best for them, but I still feel this sense of control. And so as I started to think to, to, for today's message about hope, where have I seen signs of hope? Where have I learned about hope? I especially started thinking of some times where I have been fortunate enough to serve the church in other places, places outside of my normal, places outside of my comfort. Because those, if I'm being honest, when I'm out of my comfort zone, those have been the moments of greatest personal growth and also the greatest understanding about who God is. So as first, when I was thinking about songs of songs of hope, I thought about there was a time when I served in Tanzania at a home for street kids. This was a home not for orphans, but for children who especially had left home because they did not have enough food to eat or their parents could not provide basic necessities for them. So they left, trying to scratch out any kind of job and living often often selling bags on the side of the road for pennies, anything to make enough money for food. This church ministry gave these kids an opportunity to be kids, to live together in this place, to go to school, to have food, clothing, necessities. I got to, to live there and be with them for a couple months. And there was one day, it was Holy Week, we went to go play soccer. They had off school. I said, well, I'll go up and play soccer with you. So we walked over and into this new area that I had never seen or been to. There we played soccer for a while. I was in shorts and a t-shirt like they were. And I looked then, I noticed all of a sudden that there was a building at the end of one side of the soccer field, and it had Luther's Rose on it. So I thought, well, it's probably a church and probably a Lutheran church. So I curiously walked over. The door was open. There was a deacon there. I said, well, I introduced myself. He said, we're having worship, and it's starting in 15 minutes. 
and you are going to be the guest of honor. And I looked at myself and I said, (laughs) you don't want this smelly, dirty, shorts and t-shirt kind of guy as your guest of honor. But he insisted. He insisted and I said, okay. So here I was, a six foot four white guy trying to hide in the back. But he introduced me, made me stand up, wave, okay. Well, it got to a point, the music was, of, of course, just amazing. And just watching the people with such joy and such hope, singing in Swahili, not understanding from the words, but understanding from them and their emotions and how they acted, just what, what it was about. And just seeing that hope, knowing their situation. But here they were singing for God. It came time for the offering, and I started to notice they, ha- they brought out a big offering plate right in the front, and they started playing music. Everybody was standing and dancing, and slowly every pew danced up to the front and put their offering in that plate. Well, as I had been going to a soccer game with the kids, I did not have any money on me which I knew, but it didn't stop me from digging in my pockets, just wishing and hoping that maybe there's something there. Because, oh my gosh, this is so embarrassing. I'm, I have a lot of privilege, right? I'm, I have money to fly there and, you know, to get a passport. And, and I'm the guest of honor and I have nothing. The woman next to me with her two young kids notices and leans over and says, do you have anything for the offering? No, I don't. I watch as she pulls out her purse and pulls out the only bill left in there and hands it to me so that I could have something to give. As I danced and hummed along to the songs and made my way up, that for me continues to be a sign of love and a sign of hope. I was also thinking about, in this season of Songs of Hope, I was thinking about my experiences in the Middle East. My wife was born in Jerusalem. For many years, her parents served the Lutheran Church there, first uh, assisting with some of those Palestinian Arabic-speaking Lutheran churches in the Holy Land, and then later as the Lutheran World Federation representative in the Middle East. He over, my father-in-law oversaw a hospital, a Lutheran hospital on the Mount of Olives, vocational training centers for Palestinians and refugee programs at times for Syrian refugees, mainly in Jordan. My wife served for several months, three months, as an ecumenical accompanier. You see, the World Council of Churches and the local churches, all of them, unanimously, the Catholics, Orthodox, 
all the different flavors of Orthodox, the Lutherans, the Anglicans, they all put out a call to the churches around the world to send human rights observers, ecumenical accompaniers, to come and see and walk with the people in the midst of occupation. As I took groups there, including one with Pastor Yvette, including ones with uh, students that I get to serve with in the, at the University of Maryland, we always went and visited a little village of Yanoon in the northern West Bank near Nablus. It's where my wife served for three months. There, in this village of less than 100 people, an agricultural village, there she walked with the people. Since the year about 2000, there had been Israeli settlements, illegal settlements being constructed in a ring around, like a horseshoe, around the village, cutting the people off from a lot of their agricultural land. The settlers did everything they could to make the people leave. First, it was things like throwing sound bombs at night to wake them up, shooting up the windows in their houses. They had their dogs bathe in the well and generally try to make the water, drinking water, unclean. They destroyed the generator, the only generator that provided power to the village. Then in early 2000s, they came with their assault rifles and told the villagers, if you're here in one week, we're going to kill you. All 100 or so villagers left. They only went back with ecumenical accompaniers and international presence in that village 24-7 for the last 23 years with COVID being an exception. My wife was one of those accompaniers. And in that time, she walked with those people so that they could pick olives. She had settlers who threatened her and put guns in her face. She walked with people as they had to go through checkpoints just to get the local store not far away. With groups, we would come and be there and buy olive soap that they made. We'd have bread, taboon bread, this, this kind of Palestinian flatbread that they would cook. We hear about the difficulties, about the impossibilities, about really the helplessness. They couldn't do anything as they were cut off more and more from their land and facing daily acts of intimidation and violence. And they had hope. I don't know if I could see any hope, but they had hope. That God could do something that seemed impossible. Many of our trips there, we spent a lot of time in Bethlehem. In, Beth in the greater Bethlehem area, there's three Lutheran churches. Each of those churches operates a school. There's one place in particular that we would go called the Tent of Nations. A Lutheran family, the Nasser family, owns a farm right on the edge of Bethlehem. They've owned it for over a hundred years, and they can show you the deed from when the Ottomans ruled the land before 1917. They can then show you the deed of the land for, that they have from when the British controlled the area until 1948. They can then show you the deed from when the Jordanians controlled the area until 1967. 
and they can even show you a deed from the early days of when the Israelis started the occupation of the land. They have faced court battles for over a dozen years of the Israeli settlers trying to get them off of this land that they've owned for generations and centuries. The goal isn't necessarily to win a court battle, but it is to drain the Nasser family of resources to generally get them to give up and just say, you know what, I'm done with this. It's not worth it. The Nasser family has spent millions of dollars on a never-ending court case. The court never actually rules on the case, and it just keeps getting dragged out and dragged out. To make matters worse, the Israeli government has put stop work orders on the land. They are not allowed to build any sort of structure on this land, again, that they've owned. If they so much as put a solar panel to generate electricity, the Israeli government will come and destroy it immediately. The settlers who now live all around their land, who want that land desperately for a new settlement, continually harass the Nasser family. They've cut down olive trees. They've destroyed crops. They make life as difficult as possible. But then to hear how the Nasser family talks about what they do is inspiring. They won't meet hate with hate. They won't meet violence with violence. They formed the Tent of Nations, a place where they invite people of all faiths, of all nations, to come, to live, spend a week, spend a day, to cultivate the land, to be in relationship and peace with one another. Jewish Israelis, Muslim Palestinians, Palestinian Lutherans, Christians, internationals from all over, Come and visit to hear the stories of hope in this impossible situation, in this unjust situation. The last time I visited, we were there with the group as the Lutheran Church welcomed a new bishop. They had made a They had recently had a convention and elected a new bishop, and they had a parade through the old city of Jerusalem on the way past the Church of the Holy Sepulchre to the Lutheran Church of the Redeemer. Different groups, church groups, came and they had marching bands. And I'll never forget standing on the side and cheering and dancing, again in the midst of everything that was happening the group from Bethlehem, playing Angels We Have Heard on High, a song of hope from a church and a people, hope that God is up to something, something unknown, something that seems maybe impossible, hope that Christ is coming. For Christmas, for Christ is coming again, that God's kingdom and that flavor of God's kingdom is made more known and that the Holy Spirit works in and with and through us. These are some of the songs of hope that I have experienced 
that I carry with me. So we continue in this season of hope that God is bigger, that all is possible with God. Amen.